All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we're reviewing the all 22 film from the Falcons week 16 win over the Detroit Lions, talking about their conservative defensive game plan and whether that informs us about what are their priority positions that they need to upgrade on that side of the ball this offseason. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com. RIP still going strong on Twitter at Falcfans. And, of course, the host of this world-renowned Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Lockdown Falcons is our usual Wednesday show, which is going to be an all-22 review of the most recent Falcons game, this one being a Week 16 win over the Detroit Lions. Normally, we would also have some mailbag questions for you for me to answer, but today I am taking a break from the mailbag. I know some of you guys have some lingering questions We'll potentially get to them at a later date, potentially later this week on Friday. But I really wanted to talk about a couple of topics because watching the film, uh, what jumped out to me was how conservative the Falcons defensive game plan was when I sat down and charted uh, this defense in terms of their coverages and their lack of, of blitzes and whatnot. And that's been a trend over the last couple of weeks. And we'll talk about that. Uh, and how this Lions game fits into the recent trend with the Falcons being more zone heavy, uh, then we'll le- that will lead us into a conversation about, okay, if the Falcons are going to play this zone heavy type of defense, does that mean or does that really inform us on what their priorities could or should be this offseason when it comes to upgrading this defense? And, and maybe there's a particular position group in the secondary where one position gets a lot of the attention, but maybe really need to be focusing on that other position. And I'm talking about spoiler alert safety, maybe needing a little bit more focus than corner. Um, And then we'll wrap up today's episode by getting into uh, the revisiting the talent narrative. Um, Because again, watching the film of of this game, you know, just reminded me something I brought up a little bit on, on Sunday's, post-game rapid reaction show that there is a real talent disparity between where the Falcons are and where the lions are. And, you know, we really need to frame the conversation, particularly when it comes to Arthur Smith and how good a job he's done coaching differently than, Oh, he's won a bunch of games despite the fact that the Falcons have no talent. That's not really where the conversation should be. And I'll give you a reason why you can sit here and say, Hey, Arthur Smith's actually done a pretty decent job based off of these things, but it's not in the way that a lot of people frame. So we'll get to that later on today's episode. But before we get there, guys, I want to thank you for making lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. Of course, lockdown Falcons free available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple Odyssey, Google and Spotify. And of course now lockdown Falcons, Falcons is free and available on YouTube. So make sure you subscribe to the Locked On Falcons YouTube channel. And when you do, give us that thumbs up as well as leave any comments uh, that you have. So let's jump into the first topic of today, and that's the Falcons conservative game plan. And it was oddly conservative against this Lions team. And we've seen over the last three weeks, the Falcons have been, you know, sort of, um, dialing up a lot more zone heavy defensive approach. And it's probably not a coincidence that those are the three games that Eric Harris has missed. Although I'm a little surprised that the Falcons have taken that choice and it's certainly a choice. 
I tend to give Dean Pease the benefit of the doubt with the various choices that he makes because uh, he has forgotten more about uh, the game of football than I will probably ever know. Uh, but, you know, I, I feel like when we've talked about the defensive improvement that really started in that Patriots game a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, if you exclude the Bucks game uh, out of the conversation, we've seen, you know, the Falcons defense kind of play much better over the last, you know, four to six weeks, um, generally speaking. And, you know, it seems like that's coincided with the Falcons taking a much more man heavy approach. So to see them go back to zone uh, as they have done the last three games, including this Lions game is a, is a bit of a, a question mark for me. You know, the last three weeks they've played over 70% of their defensive snaps, or at least pa- on passing downs um, in zone coverage based off of my charting. Um, which is something that they pretty consistently did over the first eight or so weeks of the season, uh, most weeks. And, you know, that was a choice that I, you know, don't really have a beef with because you got to play zone a certain amount. Even the most man-heavy team is still playing zone probably 50, 60% of the time. Uh, so, you know, 70% isn't like this huge number. But, you know, since week nine, that number was depl- deploying you know, zone maybe closer to 50% uh, uh, than, you know, the first couple of games. And, you know, it kind of started in that week nine game against the Saints where the Falcons went more to a man-heavy scheme. And that seemed to be related to the fact that, you know, the Saints who have one of the worst groups of wide receivers in the NFL or the worst group of wide receivers, uh, contrary to the opinion of a lot of Falcon fans that think the Falcons do, uh, but the Saints who have the worst group of receivers in the league, uh, the Falcons felt that they, they could man up that team. And it made sense for them. And you would assume, given that the Lions are probably the second worst group of receivers in the NFL, um, outside of Maman Ross St. Brown, that you would assume that they would have gone with a man-heavy approach because they felt confident that they could man up this group of receivers. Um, and given that the Saints or the Lions, like the Saints, were dealing with a backup quarterback in Tim Boyle, uh, like the Saints were with Trevor Simeon back then, you know, the one of the reasons why you like man coverage is theoretically, at least, uh, doesn't always work out in, in reality, but theoretically, because of the tight coverage that you're typically getting versus zone where there's potentially these wide open spaces where you can throw into, the windows are smaller. Um, and it forces particularly lesser quarterbacks. Um, it gives them more problems because they have to fit the ball into the tighter windows. And that's where, you know, being a high level quarterback that has that level of accuracy becomes important. And we saw this, you know, going back, you know, to 2019 with that defensive turnaround in the second half of the season with the Falcons taking that man heavy approach uh, against quarterbacks like Kyle Allen and Gardner Minshew. We've seen that against Simeon. We've seen against Trevor Lawrence, another guy that struggled this season, Cam Newton and PJ Walker in week 14 also struggled against all of these guys. And, and now Tim Boyle, all of those guys had a lower, you know, than 50% completion rate when the Falcons deployed man coverage in those respective games, Tim Boyle only completed about 33% of his passes against the Falcons man coverage. The Lions success rate against the Falcons man coverage was 22%, which is one of the lowest rates uh, the Falcons have uh, produced all season long. Uh, But they only managed to use man coverage on about 26% of their plays. Uh, And during that week nine, to week 13 stretch where it was primarily man coverage or at least more man coverage than it was earlier in the season, they were ranging between 40 and and 60%, as I said earlier. Uh, And so the Falcons went zone heavy against the Lions and particularly cover two heavy uh, this week. Uh, And you go back to that week 14 game against Carolina, they went cover two heavy that week. But you could argue, particularly in the second half, uh, where like I think 86% of their second half snaps uh, deployed zone defense. 
Um, and you know, you could make the argument in week 14, but because the Falcons had a lead, uh, that it made sense to play a little bit more zone to protect that lead. But this week when it was kind of a back and forth game, the Falcons playing, you know, zone defense on 75% of their second half snaps, particularly given how effective their man coverage was in the first half, you know, seemed to be being conservative for the sake of being conservative. And the other thing that I noted watching the game was how very little the Falcons blitzed in this game. Based off my charting, I only charted four blitzes uh, on 34 dropbacks by Tim Boyle this week. Uh, PFF only charted two. Uh, the four I counted, three of those four were four-man blitz concepts. Um, the Falcons sent five guys only one time in this game. They actually sent three guys. I had a three-man rush twice in this game. So basically over 90% of the snaps, the Falcons just rushed four, either a standard way or with you know a blitz and replace concept. And we know how hard it has been for this Falcon team to get pressure with, you know, a standard four man rush. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why they have tried to dial up pressure. The Panthers, again, a, a game where the Falcons featured a lot of zone did dial up a lot more four, five and six man blitz concepts. I charted 75% um, or at least on those plays where they dialed up that type of pressure, they were able to get some form of pressure based off my charting on 75% of those plays. Um, you know, they blitzed 16 times or on 43% of the Panthers dropbacks in that game. They dialed back the blitz against the 49ers the following week. Again, another zone heavy approach for the game plan. They only blitzed seven times, which is still 29% of the 49ers dropbacks. They were less effective at getting home, only getting some form of pressure on about two out of those seven or 29% again. But that still was faring much better than when the Falcons just had a sort of standard four-man rush because I counted that that they got some form of pressure on only one out of the 17 times they brought a standard four-man rush or 6% of the time. And if you're curious on those standard four-man rushes, uh, this time the Falcons got pressure against the Lions, 23% of those plays. And on the, the four plays where they did bring some form of blitz, they were able to get some form of pressure on 75% or three out of those plays. So, you know, 23% pressure on a standard four-man rush is better than what the Falcons have typically done in most games this year. It's one of the better days that they've had rushing the quarterback. So, you know, that was a testament to the Lions not necessarily having a, a great offensive line there and the Falcons being able to find ways to get effective pressure more effective than they have shown to date. But we've talked about before on this podcast that the sort of typical number that you're looking for uh, in order to say that you had an effective pass rush is around 35%. And the difference between, you know, 35 and 23%, you know, would be roughly about three or so plays um, based off of how many dropbacks the Lions had. And, you know, you, you can make the argument then that basically the Falcons finding a, a, a pass rusher that could add another three pressures per game or roughly 50 over the course of an entire season um, would be greatly beneficial to getting this pass rush to at least league average levels. Um, so it's not as if the Falcons have a huge way to go uh, in that regard, if you could reliably get, you know, 23%, which they haven't been able to reliably get, as I said, with against the 49ers, it was 6%. So like, you know, that's a longer way to go, but it is one of those things where like in these games, uh, the Falcons aren't super far, at least if you can get what they did against the lions more consistently week in and week out. And that's going to lead us kind of into our next conversation, which is talking about what this defense needs to address this offseason using this Lions game as the basis 
for judgment. And we'll get into that as we continue today's Locked on Falcons podcast, guys. But we got to talk about how it's the end of the calendar year of 2021. 2022 is right around the corner. You know, you're coming up with your New Year's resolutions. A lot of you want to eat healthier. And you've heard me for months talk about Built Bars, the best tasting protein bar in the market. They taste just like a candy bar covered in chocolate, but they're healthy too. Low in sugar and carbs and calories and fat, but high in protein and fiber. You get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. But you don't need to hear that spiel again because really – it's about the new year and Built Bar knows this and they're having a 22% off sale on everything that you can find at built.com. That's the Built Bars. That's the Built Bites, which is the bite-sized version of the Built Bars. That's Built Broth. If you want, you know, more protein in your standard chicken broth or, or beef broth, Built Broth is for you. If you want Built Boost and you want to get your vitamins and an immunity boost that you can add to your drinks or whatever, um, you know, that's where the Built Boost comes in. All of that is 22% off right now at built.com. So uh, that those are going to be through the new year as long as supplies last. And on top of that, you're also still getting the 15% discount if you use the promo code LOCKED15 when you order one of those items, whatever you want at built.com. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off whatever you order in addition to the 22% that you're getting off. So if you have been on the fence about trying built bars or whatever the case may be at built.com. Now is the time to do so because they're giving you all the incentive to do so. And if you've been a convert over the last year plus that we've been, you know, promoting built uh, and built bars on this podcast, by all means, now is the time to go and clean out their inventory because you're getting as big a discount as you possibly can get. So if you're a convert, you know how good built bar is. By all means, share the wealth, promote it yourself, to, you know, spread the gospel uh, to all the folks. So, again, 22 percent off all items at built.com while supplies last through the new year. And then on top of that, the promo code locked 15 for an additional 15 percent off. So go check it out at built.com. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a modern design that lets you go further and do more. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, complemented by an interior built with integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, its durability has been tested to the extreme. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And robust cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. So we're talking about the Lions Falcons game and what I saw in the film. And we just kind of wrapped up about the Falcons inability to get pressure on the team. We know that's going to be the priority number one when it comes to this offseason and addressing this defense. Um, you know, again, the choice to deploy, to deploy more zone and especially more cover two in this Lions game specifically was an interesting choice given that the cover two has been so problematic for the Falcons this year. We talked about this back in week two after the Bucks game uh, where the Falcons got gashed a bunch 
uh, with cover two. And, you know, that has continued throughout the season. I haven't charted every single snap yet. I still got to go back and, and chart some plays from those dolphin and uh, jets wins. Uh, but, you know, at least from week nine on, you know, when I've charted how many 20 plus yard plays the Falcons have given up this year, um, they've given up six 20 plus yard plays when they deploy cover one, six when they've deployed cover three, but 14 when they've deployed cover two. And if you want to see the percentages of that, you know, based off of the number of snaps that they've played in each of those coverages, that's 5% of their man coverage plays in that cover one over the last eight games uh, have resulted in big plays. That's 7% of their cover three. Um, and most of that came in against the 49ers where they carved them up um, when they deployed cover three. And then, you know, of course, Kyle Shanahan, his offense is, is designed to carve up cover three, but that's 15% of their plays. So more than double that number when it's come to cover two. Um, and, you know, this has been a problem for the Falcons all year long. So the choice of the last couple of weeks, especially to play as much cover two as the Falcons have played seems like a questionable choice, given how the Falcons have been so good at not giving up big plays this year. That's one of the the one areas that you can sit here and say this DMP's defense is better than his predecessors under Dan Quinn and Raheem Morris is not giving up the big plays. I'm sure some of you have already seen the graphic. Uh, out there on, on Twitter and, and elsewhere that says the Falcons are the only defense in the NFL this year to not give up a 40 plus yard uh, play this season. And they're about league average and slightly above league average. When you factor in the number of overall plays, when it comes to 20 plus yard plays given up this year. So they've been an above averaging 13th uh, in terms of, uh, you know, when you factor in the number of, of snaps that they've played uh, in terms of giving up those 20 plus yard plays. Uh, so they've been pretty solid in that regard. And so when we're talking about them playing cover two, that's been the, the one coverage that they've been most vulnerable uh, giving up those big plays um, this season. And we can, um, you know, speculate as to why the team um, tends to give up more big plays uh, in cover two. And you can make the argument. And again, I'm not going to necessarily die on this hill right now, but certainly you can make the, a, a decent argument that it's because this personnel has, was built to be more of that middle field closed coverages, which is the cover one and the cover three. Uh, and that's why this team is, seems to be more comfortable playing that style because that's what Dan Quinn and, and Raheem Morris were deploying primarily uh, over the last, you know, five, six years. Um, so that's certainly an argument that we can make. Um, you know, some of it again is owed to the absence of Eric Harris. And you can certainly make the argument that maybe Dean Pease feels like the cover two is a better fit for Jalen Hawkins' skill set um, versus, you know, Eric Harris's skill set. And I don't think that's a wrong or crazy conclusion to, to come to. Uh, we may talk about that a little bit later uh, in the episode, but one of the, the downsides of playing as much cover two, and this was also true of Raheem Morris when he was here uh, and he was running uh, the various schemes. And it's been generally the case this year. Again, I'd have to double check the, the, the numbers um, to see if how true it is. But generally speaking, when the Falcons play their zone, they're not dialing them as, as much blitzes playing cover two versus cover three. The, the cover two is typically relying a little bit more on their a standard four-man rush under Dean Pease. This is also the case under Raheem Morris uh, than it, the cover three, where they tend to be a little bit more aggressive, bringing pressure uh, from the linebacker or corner, uh, particularly with those four and five-man concepts. Um, and, you know, we talked about this before on the podcast that, you know, 
Raheem Morris was a little bit more aggressive, bringing those four and five man and, and even six man pressure concepts out of zone, uh, particularly once he took over as the interim head coach in 2020 than Dan Quinn was, and certainly has been more so than Dean Pease has been this year. But I argued in the, in the past on this podcast that part of that is owed to the fact that Raheem Morris had a, as crazy as it sounds to say, a dirt cutter led offense that was better than the current Arthur Smith led offense, at least in terms of generating explosive plays, generating points and whatnot. And so Raheem Morris didn't have to feel as compelled. Like he could be more aggressive because he had a lot more confidence that his offense, if they, if the defense screwed up, the offense could get those points back, right? They could go down the field and score. And given how, unexplosive this Arthur Smith offense has been how inefficient has been in recent weeks, not necessarily against the lions, uh, but in the red zone and, and not being able to drive the ball, the length of the field as readily as the dirt cutter team, you know, Dean Pease can't really afford to do that because every mistake that the defense makes is not a mistake that the offense is going to be able to make up for, uh, which only exacerbates those mistakes. So it's part of the reason why you would assume that Dean Pease would gear his defense towards not making minimizing mistakes. And so therefore, again, going back to why they're deploying as much cover two as they are in recent weeks. But, um, you know, I think part of the reason why Dean Pease seems to be going in this direction is that you're seeing this recent trend in the NFL of going from middle of the field close coverages, which is the cover one and cover three, uh, where you have that single, what that means is uh, the middle of the field is closed because there's a safety there, uh, that single high safety, um, to middle of the field open coverages. And last year was the first year um, really since the Seahawks defense took the the league by storm back in 2013, uh, where you saw teams, the majority of, of, snaps in the NFL being middle of the field open or those split safety coverages, which is primarily cover two and cover three, or I'm sorry, cover two and cover four. Right. And so one of the reasons maybe why Dean Pease is deploying that as his quote unquote default, uh, as it appears to be, this is basically the argument I'm making based off of this Lions game, the recent uh, decision to, to play that despite all the reasons not to play that, that I've outlined, um, you know, Dean Pease is going with the flow. Right. He's going with the trend of the league and, and it makes sense for that. And we can talk about how deploying deploying those coverages, those middle of the field open coverages, those split safety coverages affects how you change your defensive front because you're going to generally have lighter boxes than you would if you deployed a cover three where you could drop that safety down, that strong safety, the Keanu Neal type, the Cam Chancellor type into the box more easily as an eighth defender in the box. And if you're going to play split safety, you're pretty much always going to have, you know, seven man boxes uh, for the most part. And that changes how your defensive front has to play. Um, and, you know, we can have a conversation of that, but we're not going to have that conversation on today's episode. We'll punt that to the off season and potentially bring on some, some potential guests that can explore that more deeply. Um, but, you know, what this really means is that maybe the safety position is a more significant need than the uh, other positions on defense besides the pass rush. And you've heard me say on the podcast that I think the three biggest positional upgrades the Falcons need in no particular order is left guard, edge rusher, you know, primarily providing that juice as a pass rusher and adding a playmaker in the secondary. And I've been purposely vague about not picking a specific secondary position, whether that's free safety, strong safety corner, nickel corner, et cetera, because I think what that position is, is heavily dependent on what type of scheme the Falcons want to be. And it's hard to tell what exactly Dean Pease wants to be based off of his 
historic trends of basically tailoring his defense to his player's strengths. And the point I'm trying to make is like the fact that the Falcons were so conservative against the Lions and have gone back to being that cover two team may mean that this is kind of the default. That's his tendency that he wants to be this type of, of defense. And so, you know, if we were playing more of that man heavy cover one style of defense, like Wink Martindale does in, in Baltimore, you would probably want a, a big time press man outside corner to be that extra playmaker in the secondary. And and so if, you know, to, to find the Marcus Peters, to AJ Terrell's Marlon Humphrey, or, you know, the Marlon Humphrey to AJ, P, AJ Terrell's Marcus Peters, or whatever the case may be, if you were a Seahawks style defense uh, playing more of that cover three zone, uh, defense, you probably want a ball hawking single high safety that could come in and play that position at a high level. Uh, a Justin Simmons type, or you know, obviously Earl Thomas is is the sort of the template for that. But Earl Thomas's don't grow on trees. But you know, in a split safety defense, you kind of want a, a jack of all trades type of safety. And we kind of thought Richie Grant would be that type of player. So far, he's been unproven in that regard. I, I'm not writing him off by any means, but I'm also not assuming right now, given that we haven't seen it from him so far that he's that type of guy. Deron Harmon has not really been that type of player for the Falcons this season. Uh, his experience is more as that single high type of guy. Um, and he has not really done a great job in terms of the split safeties. Again, getting back to the point earlier about Jalen Hawkins being maybe a better fit. You you kind of saw this in the Panthers game on that one play uh, where he was being able to come down, um, not only uh, playing the deep half of the field, but also the, that's what you kind of want in a split safety. Like you want the range of a, of a deep safety, but you don't necessarily need it to the same degree that you would need it for a single high cover three uh, safety. Uh, but you want some of that. And you also need that guy to be able to come underneath you know, and attack the intermediate level of the field, particularly as a run defender, um, as well as, you know, breaking up some of those throws over the middle of the field where the cover two tends to funnel the football. And you saw that with Jalen Hawkins in the Panthers game that hit that he delivered on Robbie Anderson is exactly what we're talking about. What you want to see more of from the safety group. You're not seeing from Duran Harmon, obviously Richie Grant. We don't know what he is in that regard. And so adding another safety that can do more of that on a regular basis could potentially be the biggest priority outside of adding to the pass rush on the defensive side of the ball. Um, if this is how team P's wants to play it. So, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see whether or not there are options in free agency in the draft we're not going to get into specifics. We right now, uh, that's something that we can do in the off season, but essentially we're looking for, if it's a draft pick, we're looking for Antoine Winfield uh, junior 2.0. And if it's a free agent, we're looking for John Johnson because that's basically what John Johnson did with the Rams and, and what the Browns paid him a lot of money to do this past off season. So, Again, Richie Grant could be that guy uh, that can maybe t potentially tag team with Jalen Hawkins if Richie Grant can make that year or two jump. But at this point in time, we don't know. So that's just something to keep an eye on, something to you know put in your pipe and smoke it as far as when we talk about uh, what the Falcons may need this offseason. We may be having a conversation that maybe safety is a bigger priority after the pass rush, or at least on the defensive side of the ball, than anything else. So uh, that's where we'll leave that conversation, and we'll wrap up today's episode by revisiting the lack of talent conversation after rewatching the film of this Falcons-Lions game and, and talking about something I talked about on the Sunday post-game rapid reaction talking a little bit about the talent disparity between the Falcons and Lions. And that's why you hear so much pushback from me about the, the Falcons, you know, at least the narrative that the Falcons lack talent. And, you know, it leads me to spending a lot of time being a little bit more critical of Arthur Smith uh, than other people are. But I think there's 
reasons and we'll get into some reasons that if you want to be praising or reasons why I should be a little bit more praising of Arthur Smith. I think that is really where we need to be starting to have this conversation. We'll get into that as we continue today's episode. But once again, I want to thank you guys for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. And of course, I always have recommendations for what your second listen should be. And of course, you know, given what's at stake this potential weekend, uh, why not check out the Lockdown Bulldogs podcast? It's got you covered for all things when it comes to the Georgia Bulldogs side of the college playoff uh, upcoming this weekend. So go check out Lockdown Bulldogs. Of course, it's free and available on the same platforms that you can find Lockdown Falcons, including on YouTube. And, um, you know, what's also free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, the same ones that you can find Lockdown Falcons, is, of course, the ultimate college football playoff preview 2021, which is part of the same feed that if you checked out the NFL preview, you know, several months ago, back in August and early September, it's on that same feed. Um, you know, they recycle the feed for all the big sort of uh, network wide events. So you might as well stay subscribed to it for all those big events. So if you're subscribed to that already, uh, you, you already got it. If you're not subscribed to it already, you can just go to your favorite podcast platform and search Ultimate College Football Playoff Preview 2021. And of course, you're getting updates that have been going on since Friday and they'll be going on all week long. Uh, you've gotten Sugar Bowl previews and Fiesta Bowl previews, Rose Bowl previews already up on the feed. You got more coming in the coming days. You're getting betting advice. You're getting insight from the lockdown local experts for the respective teams in a lot of these games. So definitely check out the ultimate college football playoff preview. So wrapping up today's Locked on Falcons, let's talk once again about the Falcons, quote unquote, talent issue. Um, and you you hear this narrative and, and even our, our good friend, Mike Rothstein of ESPN on, on yesterday's episode expressed this narrative, which I disagree with all respect due to Mike and all respect due to anybody else who expresses this narrative. But I'm going to continue to die on this hill. Um, I, I think it's BS, right? This narrative that the Falcons have one of the worst rosters in the NFL. And so therefore it's a testament to how great a job Arthur Smith has done to get this team with this talent level to seven wins so much so that a couple of weeks ago, you know, some people were talking about, Hey, maybe you should be considered for coach of the year, which again, crazy, you know? And again, I'll stress this. When we talk about lack of talent on the Falcons roster, if we're talking about the defense inside the ball, Oh, absolutely. You're not going to hear a peep out of me arguing against that. Yeah. The defense does legitimately lack talent. Um, and, you know, we talked about some of the reasons why that is, but they have, you know, a lot of day three talents um, in terms of the draft and undrafted free agents playing prominent roles across this defense. You look at the defensive front, you know, you got Mike Pinnell, Anthony Rush, Stephen Means, Brandon Copeland, all former undrafted free agents that are playing prominent snaps for this team. You got Eric Harris, you know, formerly before he got injured, uh, playing prominent roles in the secondary and arguably the, besides AJ Terrell, the most consistent secondary player. And you got day three talents like Adi Ogundechi, Taquan Graham, Michael Walker, Jalen Hawkins, Avery Williams, Darren Hall, also playing significant roles. I know Foye Aluakun and, and Grady Jarrett were also drafted on day three, but we know they outperformed uh, that status. So I don't necessarily call them day three talents. You know, they were, they, they performed like day two talents uh, that were drafted in day three. Uh, so when it comes to the Falcons defense, absolutely. Talent is an issue that unit needs a huge infusion of, of talent on that side of the ball. But when it comes to the offense, like you can't make that same claim. And, and that's certainly the side of the ball that is directly under the purview of Arthur Smith, given that he is the play caller on that side of the ball. Um, you know, outside of basically Russell Gage, Tajay Sharp and, and Keith Smith, 
everybody else was drafted in the first three rounds of the draft. And, you know, maybe a couple of guys drafted in round four or whatever the case may be. But I'm going to continue to stress on this podcast, you know, that we're going to sit here and, and talk about these top 100 or so talents um, that they're certainly underachieving by all means, uh, 100% that several of these guys are not performing up to the level that we should and would have come to expect. But the issue that the Falcons are going to have to deal with is that they're going to wind up replacing these top 100 talents with more top 100 talents. And if Arthur Smith isn't getting more out of this group of guys, why would you expect him to get more out of the next group of guys? Like, you know, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills when I say stuff like this, but like, we know that this defense needs a huge talent infusion. We need to invest resources in this defense, which primarily manifests itself in free agent dollars and, um, you know, premium guaranteed big contracts and or first and second round picks where the, the top notch talent is right. And you're not going to hear again, any argument for me, if anybody's sitting here saying we need to use our, you know, first two or three picks of this draft on defense, I'm like, you're not going to hear me say, Oh no, we shouldn't do that. I, you know, if you're asking me, will the Falcons do that? I don't think they will. I think at least one of those guys is going to be an offensive player, probably a quarterback, but we'll see maybe a running back. We'll see. But in terms of whether the Falcons should do that, like, again, not going to hear any complaints from me about that plan, but that's going to leave you for drafting offensive players, those skill positions, because we do know that we have holes on that side of the ball as well in the third and fourth and fifth round, where we already have a bunch of third and fourth and fifth round guys on the offensive side of the ball that allegedly lack talent. You know, so why are you going to think the new third, fourth and fifth round picks are going to be better than the old third, fourth, fifth round picks? Why do you think Arthur Smith's going to magically figure it out with this group of third, fourth, and fifth round picks versus the previous group of third, fourth, and fifth round picks? This is the point I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make, guys. All right? You know, you're looking at the Mike Davises, the Jalen Mayfields, the Matt Hennessy's, the Wayne Goldman's, the Russell Gages, the Tajay Sharps, the Alameda Zacchaeus, Quadri Olison type of players that are we're asking to play prominent roles currently on the roster. And you can even throw in a, a Caleb McGarry or Hayden Hurst because they were first round picks that, you know, at least in my opinion, probably should have been third round picks based off of their talent levels. You know, and it's, it's like the criticism I have of Arthur Smith is not because I think Arthur Smith is a bad coach. And like, again, people keep trying to straw man this argument of me saying, oh, Arthur Smith is a bad coach. No, I, I think he's done some very questionable job, you know, performances in, in several games this year. But it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, he's a terrible coach because he made, you know, two or three bad play calls or he mismanaged the clock or whatever the case may be. It's not that I think Arthur Smith is a bad coach. What I'm trying to sit here and stress to folks is that I think Arthur Smith has to be a better coach than what he has currently shown himself to be. If this Falcons team is going to overcome the obstacles that they need to overcome in the coming years to get back to a level of success that we all can sit here and be proud of, right? He has to do a better job of, elevating the quote-unquote untalented players that his roster is full of, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. And I use air quotes because, again, we're still talking about second, third, and fourth round picks for the most part, which you know most people would not argue are untalented players, particularly when you compare it to a team like the Lions, who, as I mentioned on Sunday, had a whole bunch of undrafted players starting for them on Sunday. Like when we're talking about an untalented team, that's what we're talking about. And people that are putting the Falcons in that same conversation, it's it's kind of ridiculous to me. Like, Russell Gage is a great example of this, a player that has been elevated, particularly over the last six weeks. You look at the first nine games of the season, 
and Russell Gage missed like what three of them due to injury. And then three others um, that, you know, he was blanked in or in the first nine weeks of the season. So the first eight games of the season, he missed three to injury and he had zero catches in three others. Uh, so he was a non-factor for the first two months of the year. But you look at the last six weeks of the season, you know, looking at some of his metrics, he's top 10 in yards among all wide receivers in the NFL over the last six weeks combined. He's top 10 in pro football focuses yards per route run metric, right? He's averaging 72 yards per game or, or whatever the case may be, which is basically what Stefan Diggs and CeeDee Lamb have been averaging over the entire season. Now, I'm not saying Russell Gage is on that level as a football player, but he's been a player that has been elevated as a quote unquote day three talent is starting to perform like at least a third or fourth round talent. Like, you know, Diggs was a fifth round pick or, or whatever the case may be like what you would, you know, Cooper cup was a third round pick, you know, I'm, maybe he's not on Cooper cups level, but you know what I'm saying? Like he's playing at a level that you would expect, you know, a, a six round pick. He's playing like a third round pick or whatever, what you would expect out of a third round type of receiver. He's a great example of a player that has been elevated. You can even argue players like, you know, Mike Davis and Olamide Zacchaeus over the last month have been guys that have played, been a lot more efficient on their limited workloads over the last, you know, four or so games than they were earlier in the season when they had much bigger roles. So these are examples of players to me that you can sit here and argue, okay, if we're talking about Arthur Smith doing a good job, like these are the examples that we should use, not, oh, we've won seven games with a bottom shelf roster. Cause that to me is, is basically BS, man. Like they don't have a bottom shelf roster. Guys, the Lions have a bottom shelf roster. If you want to praise Arthur Smith, guys, praise him for, oh, like we're now seeing over the last, you know, four to six weeks, some of these mid-round talents having their game elevated. We've gotten a good game from Jalen Mayfield. You know, Tajay Sharp hasn't necessarily been producing as much, but, you know, if we're getting more from Quadri Olison over the, you know, these are examples of what I'm talking about. Some of these players that I'm, these mid-round and late-round talents, seeing these guys contribute on a much more regular basis in positive ways um, are great examples of maybe Arthur Smith is actually doing the thing that he needs to do in the future and with different third and fourth and fifth round talents instead of having to wait 10 weeks of the season before you get that. Maybe we can get that in week one of the 2022 season. But like getting back to the the last point I'll, I'll make is like, you know, the Falcons beat the Lions because they are way more talented than the Lions. Right. And so this is why I give so much pushback on this narrative of the Falcons like talent, because there's actual teams out there that truly lack talent. And you saw that on Sunday against the Lions, like the Lions outplayed the Falcons in most statistical categories. They had more first downs, more yards, rushing yards, passing yards. They were better in short yardage. They generated more pressure on the quarterback. The only things that the Falcons did better than the Lions is they didn't pin get penalized as much because the Lions had a whole bunch of false starts and they were better in the red zone. Like the reason why the Falcons won that game, despite basically the argument I'm making saying that they got outplayed in like 75% of the categories that you would utilize to tell who actually played outplayed them is because the Falcons have significantly better talent than the Falcons. So when you're sitting here trying to lump the Falcons and the Lions into the same category of team, like the reason why they beat the Jaguars is because the Falcons have significantly more talent than the Jaguars do. And so like when we talk about, oh, the Falcons are, you know, the best of the bad teams. Yeah, but there is a gap between like the bottom three or four teams in the league, teams like Jacksonville, teams like Detroit, teams like Houston, teams like the Jets, then where the Falcons are and trying to throw them into that same group of teams and be like, oh, they're just like marginally better than that. No, the reason why they're beating those teams is because they're significantly more talented. Now we can say that and again, this is part of the conversation surrounding Arthur Smith is if he was doing a better job, you would see that displayed 
on a more consistent basis that the gap wouldn't be as close as it is. But that's what I mean, guys, where I sit here and I go like, you know, people are trying to sit here and act like the Falcons are this untalented roster. And I just go like, what are you guys looking at? You know, there's a whole bunch of first and second and third round picks. And we're sitting here acting like, you know, we got division three, you know, undrafted free agents starting games for us. Like the lions did on Sunday. I, I, I'll never understand it, but um, you know, I, I will probably save that rant for another day because I'm sure it's going to come up once again, um, particularly against Buffalo. Cause again, anytime the Falcons play a, a really good team and they get blown out, it's oh because we lack talent. It's not, Oh, because the Falcons were poorly coached or whatever the case may be. You know, that's kind of what good coaching is. You elevate the talent that you have, but you know, this is kind of the point I'm trying to make is like, that's what we need to be scrutinizing Arthur Smith more. Is he elevating talent? And there are examples like Russell Gage. There are, you know, examples like Mike Davis and, and uh, Amade Zacchaeus in recent weeks where you can sit here and say, yeah, he is starting to elevate the talent. We just need to see more of it moving forward so that this team can look like a more talented team than the popular perception is. That's the point I want to make. So that's where we'll leave it, guys. Of course, make sure you check out Locked on Bets. Another one recommendation for your second listen. Uh, of course, Locked on Bets free and available in a variety of podcasts. It's giving you all the tips that you need uh, to make your bets on, you know, the upcoming college playoffs, as well as the ongoing bowl season. In addition to the NFL, NBA, hockey, all that stuff. Uh, handicapping expert Lee Sterling always has you covered on all the sports. And you can, of course, check out Locked on Bets on a variety of podcast platforms. And the last thing I'll say is, guys, uh, you know, RIP to John Madden. I found out. You know, uh, right before I jumped on and recorded this, that he had passed uh, unexpectedly on Tuesday. And, you know, John Madden for millennials like me, even geriatric millennials like myself, um, you know, our connection to him is primarily through him being one of the, the great broadcasters uh, of all time. Um, and that led to him being, you know, part of this, you know, what the most popular sports video game franchise of all time. Um, and having that as his name. And so, you know, for people, you know, under the age of 40, that's how we know John Madden. That's how we connect with John Madden. But for me personally, and again, I, I'm not old enough to truly experience this, but, you know, his time as a, as a coach for the, the Raiders, um, you know, in the 60s and 70s is another thing that I, I is a underwritten part of John Madden's legacy. You know, growing up in a household of a of a father that was a, a big time Steelers fan and you know, was a Steelers fan during the height of the that, you know, dynasty in the seventies and whatnot, and their biggest rival being, you know, the John Madden and Ken Stabler led uh Raiders teams and sort of hearing those stories and 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 really buying in as a as a young football fan into the the whole Raiders mystique. It's always I have a, a soft spot. Uh, you know, that my former co-host Alan Circa always gives me a hard time for, uh, I always had a soft spot for the Raiders, e even during, you know, the early part of the century where they were one of the worst teams in the league. And I was always like, oh, the Raiders, I can't wait till the Raiders come back. But like, you know, that Raiders mystique that John Madden sort of presided over and it was implemented by Al Davis has always, you know, been a, a thing that I've always been fascinated by. And, you know, I know they had the the Madden documentary that aired a couple of days ago. I didn't get the chance to watch it live, uh, but I'll, I'll see if I can catch it to, to go in deep depth on that. So it's just one of those things that just a personal connection with John Madden beyond just, Oh, you know, boom in, in the, in the, in the booth and in, in the video game and whatnot that I, I know most people uh, particularly uh, of my generation and younger connect with him with. So just something to, to think about to uh, also appreciate John Madden for, uh, for, you know, no one's those seventies Raiders are, were a very special team and a very unique team. 
you know, the kind of the bad boys of the NFL, um, you know, similar to, I guess, the Pistons in, in the 80s and early 90s or whatever the case may be, but like better because, you know, they, they won multiple Super Bowls or whatever the case may be. So uh, no offense to the Pistons, but like a, a similar sort of mystique, um, not as I mean, I guess probably hated quite a bit, but, you know, there's enough time passed that, you know, they're kind of, at least from my perspective, appreciated to a certain degree. So just wanted to add that, um, you know, rest in peace, John Madden, you know, you will be missed and, and your legacy is immense beyond just the video game and and the broadcast is, is the larger point I want to make. So that's going to do it for us guys. If you want to send in questions for, you know, a potential future Q and a that probably will come on Friday, by all means, you can do so by hitting me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons. You can send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com, or you can leave a comment here on the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel. When you do, make sure you subscribe, make sure you hit that like, and again, of course, leave that comment. So that will do it for us, guys. Of course, tomorrow will be a crossover Thursday where I will be joined by the Lockdown Bills host, Joe Marino, to preview this upcoming Week 17 matchup that is not the final game of the season thanks to the 17-game season. That's going to be weird uh, to wrap my head around. Still haven't wrapped my head around it, but uh, that's on deck for us tomorrow on Lockdown Falcons. Appreciate it. Till then. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.